I'm going to reflect a bit on love uh, and different qualities of love, different kinds of love. And um, and then Jean uh, is going to uh, kind of carry that into how we embody love and kindness in, in our lives uh, and a little bit more about practice. So... Um, practice in daily life. So, so um, you know, when we say love, like it's a big word, right? Uh, we might mean a lot of things, and we use it in many different ways. You know, people say, "I love chocolate," <laughs> and uh, and I do. <laughs> uh, but it's uh, it's not the same as, um, you know, the kind of love that we've been reflecting on, uh, loving kindness, loving friendship that we've been reflecting on. So, so, um, but we can talk about um, sensual love, so, so uh, it kind of pleasant experiences that we, and, and, and a lot of, a lot of uh, what we call love is based on sensual attraction, right? Um, people fall in love, and a lot of it ha- has to do with feeling attracted, finding the other person that they're connecting with, um, and opening their heart to, uh, pleasing in many different ways. Um, and um, and so, you know, we can say we love a place, you know, a place that we uh, we live, or a place that we visit, or um, and so so all of these are uh, based on pleasant, sensual experiences, and um, and so you know we talked about these feeling tones of pleasant and unpleasant and neutral. So so when a feeling of of love or liking something is based on pleasant sensual experiences when we don't experience that as pleasant then we no longer like or love that person or place or experience right? so so you know relationships fall apart pretty quickly when they're based on just pleasant sensual experiences because you know uh, maybe we're looking for you know something different or something new or we get bored or um, uh, or or something changes about the person or the place or the experience that it's no longer pleasant um, as things tend to change and uh, and as our feelings change, you know, and we're not in control of feelings. Feelings change; they're conditioned, they arise, they fall, and and what we feel, what we experience as pleasant in one moment, may be you know unpleasant or or just kind of neutral, and and even neutral, you know, doesn't kind of hold us, grab us, or we don't grab it. As much because it doesn't doesn't have that you know we're not drawn to it. So it's not to say that sensual pleasant feelings are bad, not at all. I'm not saying that, but just to realize, to recognize, and know that that pleasant sensual feelings are impermanent and um, and unstable. The the conditions that we experience as unpleasant are unstable and the feelings themselves are also unstable. And then, you know, emotional love is another kind of love. And it also is um, is based on feelings. So so we, we feel emotionally comfortable. We feel emotionally... Um, pleasant, we enjoy being with somebody, maybe we find them um, 
uh, entertaining or funny or um, or we feel uh, accepted or feel close to them. And so emotional love is um, it's more it has more depth because our emotions are you know are very much uh, they're complex they're they're very deep and they're part of who we are and um, and so emotional love is is something that is um, it, in a way it's it's uh, it's more developed because uh, when we feel emotional love for somebody we um, you know it's it's meeting certain kinds of needs that that we personally have uh, and 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 we may be meeting the needs of the other. Um, and, and also emotions change, right? Emotions uh, come and go. Um, what our emotional needs are at a particular time in our life may not be the same as what they become at a later point in our life. So, so it may be that, you know, at one point in my life, I might have, and I'm I'm just using the first person just to as a figure of speech. I'm not really talking about myself. Um, but in 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 one part of my life, I might have wanted somebody who who would really take care of me. You know that I felt that I was being taken care of because maybe I hadn't had that in my in my upbringing. You know, uh, maybe I hadn't been really cared for and. But then, but then, a later point in my life, and maybe partly thanks to the nurturance of this person, uh, I feel more independent. I feel more strong, more confident, and this caring and taking care of becomes, ah, you know, no, I don't, want, you know, I can do it myself, you know. So, so, so we change, and um, and so, you know, uh, that's when emotional. Uh, flexibility and listening and and um, being attentive and being able to adapt and change is so important in a relationship. And and then we could say a third kind of love um, is this metta, you know, which um, is sometimes called unconditional love. So in that it's not based on conditions. So it's it's really uh, you know, we and we've been expressing it in so many beautiful ways, so many wonderful words to describe this this real just caring for the well-being of someone um, without any agenda for ourselves. You know, it's not about me. Uh, it's about really wanting this person to flower as who they are, wanting this person to 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 develop, to, to grow spiritually, to be free, to be free from suffering, to be, be free from the, um, the bonds that, you know, uh, of, of reactivity and um, greed, hatred, and delusion. And so, so there's this caring which is really just, you know, in, in the uh, New Testament, um, there, there are words like, Love as God loves, like the rain falling on the earth. You know, so the rain doesn't decide, um, you know, where to fall. The sun doesn't decide where to shine. So it's it's this just this kind of another another image for this is like a flower which just gives off its scent, not um, not deciding, you know, who will smell it uh, or who will enjoy it or even just you know if anyone enjoys it so our human love is a weaving through of all of these kinds of love you know um, uh, it could be sensual love and and very often you know in in par- I'm t- talking specifically in, for this moment 
about partner relationships, you know, and until now I was talking about it, any kind of relationship could be friendship, it could be, um, you know, a child, a parent, uh, so on. But, um, you know, in, in partner relationships very often when we're young, you know, the sensual part is stronger, you know, like, want, like that's, that's a more important dimension. Maybe it, it becomes less emphasized as, you know, our bodies change and the senses are not so powerful, the hormones are not so powerful uh, in, in, in our bodies. And um, the emotional, you know, the emotional love, uh, you know, is, it's, it really is, um, it's nourished by uh, by listening to the other, by by extending ourselves to understand the other, to try to to try to understand where are they coming from, you know, and not you know we may have our preferences, we we have our emotional wants and needs, and and so so um, you know sometimes when we don't get that pleasant emotional feeling, you know, because our wants and needs are not being met, it might be because something's going on with the other, you know. And, and so we, we might need to, you know, inquire into the relationship. You know, what's, what's going on? You know, you, you seem... Just you, like I, you don't you don't seem to be uh, kind of so present, or I, I'm 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 not finding the right words, but yeah, you seem maybe a little bit uh, down today, you know, or 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 maybe detached or something, or uh, maybe there are more tactful ways of saying that, but but to just inquire into what's going on with the other. Rather than, you know, judging or feeling disappointed or, or pulling back because, you know, our, our own emotional needs are not being met in the same way. And we all do have these needs, um, these needs to be received, this need to be nourished, this need to be seen. The need to be um, recognized uh, as who we are and encouraged. You know, we, we need that. We need friends. We need we need people who care for us. It's um, and uh, and a lot of us didn't get much of that when we were young. And so, as we move into relationships as adults, we. We're, we're wanting it and yet at the same time you know it's uh, the empathy and the understanding and the, uh, the the being you know kind of light in, in carrying expectations into relationships it's, it's really a dance right it's really a dance um, all kinds of relationships are a dance, and and in dancing we have to pay attention so we don't, you know, push somebody over or step on their toes. Um, I just I just want to um, tell a, a very short story uh, just to close this. There's so much to, that could be said about this and. And uh, and we want to, you know, Jean. I want to hear what Jean has to say, and we also want to hear what your questions are. Um, Joanna Macy is the uh, the woman who developed this this practice that Jean led us through. The, it was actually a, a putting together of two of her exercises um, that she she's she's done some brilliant work to. To uh, to develop trust and openness uh, 
and courage and um, uh, and and an ability to hold the suffering of the earth in our hearts because she's um, a woman who's both a, a Buddhist, a Dharma teacher, and a and a deep ecologist and activist. And um, and she told a story once about her relationship with her husband, who was then her fiance, and. Um, and they had decided to get married. And, uh, and so they went to a friend of theirs who was also a minister. And, um, and, they, and, and they asked him to, uh, for, their, for his blessing and to also to, to perform the ceremony. Uh, and, um, you know, sometime in the future. And they, as they were talking together... He, he said, well, the blessing I want to give you right now is um, may you always be strangers to each other. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I was like... And, but I... But when you think about it, it's... They don't assume that you know who that person is in this moment. Don't assume that you know that you... You know, that they are the person that they were the day before, that what they're feeling is what you expect them to feel, how they respond to any particular set of conditions is how they've responded in the past. So just be open and be receptive and attentive to who they are in this moment. Um, And of course, we have the history and the and you know what we built together in friendships and in all our relationships, and that needs to be balanced with just you know that freshness of being able to receive the person in this moment without knowing in the not in the atti- with the attitude of not knowing. I'll pass it to Jean. I'm sitting with uh, such deep appreciation for uh, for the Buddha. You know, the Buddha, when I like to reflect on the Buddha as this human being, because he was, this human being who was uh, determined. You know, determination is one of those um, paramis, that, uh, those uh, virtuous qualities that... Um, that Janet was re- referring to, that determination for liberation of the heart and mind. There's something that's quite inspiring about that, just a human being saying, you know, I am going to steadfast in whatever way I can um, understand, understand and, and liberate the heart and mind. Um, and, you know, then, then just undertook that you know amidst uh, amidst people who criticized him you know it's 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 kind of easy to sort of idolize a spiritual teacher but when you think of any spiritual um, seeker that has some fame you know Christ included you know they weren't necessarily the most popular beings on the block you know it's not uh, you know there was people who criticized you know them and uh you know, who I mean, it takes this kind of steadfast courage, doesn't it? it as well as that balance of vulnerability, to uh, to listen, really, to listen. I mean, it's been such a joy to um, to be here with all of you and to be to be part of and to bear witness and to help facilitate that. The you know many practices of. Um, how we can wake up our minds and hearts, and it just—it's—it's—it's it's, it's kind of endless. That's what made me think about about the Buddha, because there's the Buddha and Daryl, you know, sharing these teachings, and I'm sitting here, and you know, just as you're ending, reflecting on my relationship with my brother when you said, um, "Don't assume you know someone," 
You know, someone who I've always wanted, it was just the two of us, we wanted over the course of our, you know, 60-something years of knowing each other, um, you know, wanted more closeness. And a number of years ago, you know, I realized there was a screen, you know, because uh, because I wanted something from him that I didn't think I was getting. And uh, we're different, you know, we're different. He, he would, you know, in years past, he might have even thought Buddhism was a cult, um, he's an engineer. He's m- much more introverted. And there's just been this delicious dropping into just what you were speaking to, Daryl, that opening of uh, the not knowing and noticing in, in, in that, in like letting go of the, the I want or he isn't or I am, you know, because it goes back and forth, you know, I'm too much, he's not coming forward, whatever. Um, but just just this like seeing, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're, I think you're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. There's just this like experiencing of his sweetness, and it's so delicious. You know, there's something so beautiful about like getting to know him anew. You know, inside. You know, and I probably wouldn't go to him and say, "Oh, I'm just noticing your sweetness." You know, <laughs> you know, but it's there, and. Um, and just along with what I was speaking about in that, uh, in my talk of just that reflection of death, you know, that I, the other way, I, I, I just comes, it arises naturally, it's just thinking I don't, I don't know when I won't have him. So that also awakens the heart to, to pay attention in the moment, to, to actually appreciate the moment together, even if it isn't like unfolding the way I might like. Uh, you know, not because there's any sort of ill will there. They're different people. So I, I, I love the invitation, Daryl, that you're you're inviting us to in terms of going into our worldly life, um, which is just a, a bit of what I wanted to speak about. That there's a certain um, not to be intimidated by this, but those of you that have sat in retreats, there's a certain skill, so to speak, or a certain navigation in transitioning out of a retreat, whether it's, you know, two days or three weeks or a month or three months. I know, Janet, you've sat many, many months. So, you know, you had that experience of uh, transitioning into a really different realm. And even when it's just a couple of days, sometimes you don't even know how sensitive you are. You don't know it until you walk into the grocery store or, you know, you attend a gathering maybe or you're on the telephone or you're you're greeting uh, a family member. And, you know, in my own experience, as I said in my talk, you know, sometimes that can be just kind of sublime. I mean, I've left retreats before and gone to a party and uh, and found myself, you know, feeling this great love for people, you know, and then other times just like, you know, feeling like you're on drugs walking into a grocery <laughs> store and you're just like, get me out of here, you know. So, so it's, again, it's listening to your own, being now, now some of you, you know, maybe parents or or you know have responsibilities. Probably most all of us that you're going back to. So, um, you know, you may not have the kind of space that you've had on retreat. But um, but I was thinking about this when when um, uh, I was uh, reading and offering Joanna Macy's uh, beautiful interpretation of the Brahma Viharas when you were in the labyrinth, and you probably heard me say, really take the time in the in between. Because I was imagining, you know, myself, I've done that exercise you know, more than once, where, you know, you can feel such a mix of things. Sometimes, like, just open-hearted with, when you're with someone, and just, just that easefulness of just letting the words drop in, feeling it in your heart. Then another moment, you're going to be like, ugh, you know, this is hard, or I can't quite feel her, I can't wait till she rings the bell. You know, and then that is the moment, that is such a perfect moment, to not judge, not judge, because it's just arising. You know, we get all caught up. Like, like you said, the flower doesn't decide. Hey, how do I look? You know, <laughs> you know, or maybe she's going to like me, or he's not going to like me. It just is. It just flowers of its own, as Galway Canel says, self blessing. It just is. It has its. It has its bud. When we're looking at the buds uh, in the group walking, the, the peonies—they're so tight. And you know there's just full of this there's huge promise, you know, and, and then they have their life and, and then they die. You know, that this is our nature, you know, and, and, and we we're born we are born and we die moment to moment. We're born and we die in our in our flourishing. Um, 
You know, I look at people who are older than me as well as I watch my own aging. And certain things they're, they're letting go of that they're not able to do anymore, like kayaking, bike riding. It's kind of like a wake-up call. Like, hmm, yeah, that's happening here too. You know, I might not be there yet, but here's this flourishing and, and waning. And life is like that. So if we have these moments where our heart is closed, you just think of it like sometimes a flower closes at night. I mean, we don't have to make a big deal out of it. We can actually bring kindness, you know, or use the sounds of nature, the bell, to wake us up to, it's okay, this is how it is. This is how it is right now. And that, that my friends, is so not a passive process. You know, oftentimes, you know, I like to connect with political activists, and I think it's so juicy bringing the Dharma and politics together. You know, and oftentimes, you know, the question will be, well, you know, that's, you know, what about doing something? It's kind of passive. And my own experience, it's so the opposite. It's like when we can drop into our own being and allow our own being, like, true nourishment, So, so nourishment of mindfulness, nourishment of rest, nourishment of nature, you know, nourishment in the ways we take care of our bodies. Of course, totally imperfect, right? Get this, you know, perfect idea. It's not like that. We do the best we can. But in that nourishment, which includes, if you can, coming on retreat, you know, as often as you can. Not because you should, just because when you have that desire, that inclination, that intention, great. Follow it. You know, it's like we... Look at how we take care, we brush our teeth every day, you know, we take showers. When do we cleanse the mind and heart? You know, a retreat offers that. You know, why? Because it's an intensive, because it, it you know, we, we refrain from our cell phones or newspapers or phones or, you know, you know um, details of life. Not that those things are bad. We just seclude ourselves. We have this intensive focus to, to cultivate these qualities of, mindful awareness of loving kindness of equanimity you know? and so you know it can be it can be a misunderstanding of practice that okay now it's all going to be so easy it's not like that you know we we sometimes open to really deeply painful aspects of life or in ourselves and it takes that spiritual Warrior, so to speak, that that courageous heart that can can come close and say, "I see you, I see you right now." You know, I'm receiving right now what's coming out of my mind and heart. This is not a not something I'm sharing with you because I've perfected this by any stretch of the imagination. You know, it's it's it takes so much to be fully alive on one level and another level. Once we can really drop into ourselves, it becomes more easeful. It's like it's like the only thing we can do. It becomes more painful to 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 act or think unskillfully. It's not like it disappears, but we see it more. We're able to relate to it more with uh, with equanimity, but also with intention. As I was saying in the talk, of just noticing sometimes if my my speech feels off in some way, it just doesn't quite feel right. I can feel this, you know, unsettled. I might I might need to correct it or speak to another person about it. Or, you know, the, to me, where the rubber meets the road is the speech towards myself. And that's, you know, that's a little more challenging. You know, the, the conditions being what they are, you know, growing up with strong work ethic parents, good people, you know, really good people, and people have talked about their parents here, you know, but perhaps a little bit hard on around that kind of work ethic and so then one internalizes that is like that's what that's what makes you good you know what you produce what you do you know kind of a perfectionism like life isn't like that you know sometimes the energy is low or sometimes there's there's feelings of pain or um, dissatisfaction you know can we bring that attentive caring allowing with respect to how it is. And from that place, you know, action does arise. Back to my commentary about the, you know, political activists. It's, it's almost a fear, like if you slow down and pay attention, you're just going to be like, Ugh. you know. It's not like that, is it? I mean, think about the effort it takes just to be on a two-day retreat. It takes effort, doesn't it? It's like, I don't feel like going in the hall. I don't want to do that. I don't want to walk on, you know. 
just want to, you know, go get some ice cream or, you know, <laughs> drive my car to go get a burger. Yeah, I don't even eat, but I know people have left retreats to get burgers. You know, um, but it's just like that effort it takes to, to show up. And then, to, you know, to feel the balance in that. So now we're showing up for this transition into our, into our, um, our lives, you know, as they unfold. And even though, you know, you might think you know, we really don't know. We have no, no idea what's going to happen next. So, you know, with the same spirit of how we meet other people, can we meet life that way? Like, okay, it's unfolding. Can we trust that rooting in our beings? So, you know, as I was saying, let yourself root in between the contact when you're out in the labyrinth. Yeah, I could really feel the power of that in my own body. Like, that's so necessary. That in-between is so necessary. And it's hard. In our culture, I think for me, I notice it's hard to, to uh, sometimes give myself that out of habit. You know, it's like, oh, I have to get this done, I have to get that done, that done. So, you know, to really, if that's where your working edge is, to, to do your best, to take the time as you can. Now, for me, sometimes what I'll do, honestly, the way as I practice mindfulness, I, when I, my office is on the second floor, um, I'm reminding myself this, um, step, step, step. I just connect with the moment. I do that a lot. Like, connecting with the body is, like I said earlier, is very tangible. So you can really strengthen your mindfulness practice in those simple ways. Noticing contact, noticing your hand on the wheel, noticing your hand on the door, you know, noticing your, your hand with the toothbrush when you're washing the dishes. You know, these, these daily repetitive tasks that you just start to, you know, your mind will be, mm, i got to do this, i got to do that. Um, and then suddenly you just feel the sensation of the door and I was like, oh. drop into it, feel it. Or another practice for me, I have a dog. I like to walk in the woods. Beautiful woods, beautiful dog, river, trees. And I can go for like 20 minutes and realize I haven't noticed anything. And when my mind notices that in the moment of mindfulness, it's not about what did you do, just drop, okay, now this moment is a moment of awakening. So we, we notice that moment and we can drop into the present. Notice the touch you know, of the earth. Notice what we're seeing, hearing, seeing. And then it's so cool because of the dog that I start to notice my dog, Rosie, and she just, like, delights, you know, in everything around her. And she kind of wiggles, and she has this little prance, and it's like, I was like, it's like waking up. Like, I was just asleep. I miss this, you know, delight. So I might notice that for a while. I might go back to thinking, planning, whatever. I mean, you know, sometimes walks are good for... I actually, a lot of my Dharma talks come when I'm walking. So it's not to then negate the time we need for contemplation, but it's actually about can, how do we take time and can we take time. So uh, another thing for myself, besides when I can sitting in meditation, is also just going to sleep at night, really using that as a mindfulness, loving kindness practice, feeling the sheets, feeling the pillow. Okay, we could do a whole retreat for sleep issues, right? I mean, it's incredible how many people have sleep issues, including teenagers, I have to say. It's so painful to hear. A lot of teenagers struggle with sleep. So if you have the blessing of easeful sleep, great. And if you don't, you still do the same thing. You just feel feel the, the contact of the bed underneath you, the coolness of the sheets or the warmth of the sheets or the sounds outside of you. Like, Just drop into that mindfulness practice. You know, turn off the 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 devices. Maybe do that even earlier than you usually do. And and maybe just generate some loving kindness for yourself. You know, as you're getting ready to you know, sleep is another transition, like just dropping into this letting go. So that's a time we can we can practice loving kindness, mindfulness. Uh, and I think these, you know, again I could spend a lot of time talking about the the commitment to non harm. You know, these these practices, these mindfulness trainings that we undertook at the beginning of the retreat, how do we carry them, you know, into our lives? So, you know, what we water bears fruit, you know, and what we what we let dry up will dry up. So, and that's its own balance and its own process. So, so watering the seeds of self-kindness, patience, uh, equanimity, meaning, you know, you can just a mental note, like things are as they are, uh, Forgiveness, uh, patience, I think I said that, I said it again, 
um, this, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, I'm committed to non-harm. It's just that increasing awareness to what cultivates happiness. You know, cultivating these wholesome qualities of generosity, you know, forgiveness, kindness, uh, equanimity. These, these are the fuel and seeds of happiness. And, uh, I guess the final thing I would say about that is that if there's something that you noticed on retreat that came up for you, whether it, whether it, you know, sometimes it can come up as, for myself, like a working edge. Like, per se, you notice irritation come up a lot, or self-judgment, or um, spacing out. So rather than judging it, one could make the intention post-retreat, I'm just going to try to notice that a little more. Just going to try to work my edge with that, or just notice when ill will arises, whether it's towards self and another, and notice how the mind relates to it. Can it relate to it with, with compassion? To feel the pain of it, you know, rather than get so identified with it and tell yourself you're a bad person, it doesn't really lead to anything but more of that. Quite honestly, it's habit. So we have to, you know, as we notice whatever habits are that don't lead to happiness, it takes that perseverance and patience. Just come come towards it. Don't be afraid of it. And when, when the mind judges, is, Joseph Goldstein used to say, you know, I just count the judges. This is judgment 579. You know, it's not really that personal. It's conditioned mind. You know, so we don't have to make a big deal out of it. You know, wanting it to go away is identifying with it as much as believing it. So, so with that, um, enjoy the fruits of your practice and take some time for yourself if you can. And uh, make your life a blessing, because it is. Sure. So we'll take some, you know, we'll, we'll have a few minutes for questions. If, uh, if anybody has something that came up for you in the talks or coming out of your practice or about going back into your ordinary life and how to bring this into your life. Um, I, the way I understand it is that, um, you know, the, the quality of metta is, is this open heart and, uh, and, and wishing well to all beings, wanting them to thrive and, and be well and, uh, and at peace and, and so on. Um, uh, and, and, Compassion is how that love expresses itself when we see a being in pain and suffering. And so coming from that quality of caring, 
um, we uh, we want to alleviate the um, the pain and the suffering of somebody, and um, and we can't always alleviate their pain and suffering, um, but we can. You know, for me, in the essence of compassion, in uh, toward ourselves and toward another, is that we don't turn away; we attend. So we off so often turn away from ourselves when we're in pain, uh, when there's grief or um, or fear, or uh, or judgment. You know, we turn away from that because it's um, it's unpleasant. You know, we and we don't want to be with it. We don't want to experience it. And um, and so the compassion is to say, I care about this, and I'm going to stay present with it. And, and then with another, we also find it hard to be with somebody who may be, you know, in grief or uh, in confusion. And, and so we, compassion is, I, I care about this, and I stay with it, and 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 perhaps in that attention, in giving that attention, uh, something skillful will, you know, appear in my in my mind and my awareness that I can do to uh, to reach out, to alleviate the pain, to support um, this person or being in in their suffering, and. Um, and so, uh, and 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 we don't know. We can't expect. You know, that's when compassion. You know, if if sometimes people's compassion can feel like too much if they're trying to fix everything for us. You know, and and uh, and you know they can't. We can't fix everything. And at the same time. You know, the presence of somebody can be so supportive. Just that saying, you know, I know, I know. Uh, well, we can't know what they're feeling, but they can know that they're in pain. That we're, in, or we can know that they're in pain. And and so, um, so that that willingness to connect. And and I think also, you know, what Jean was saying earlier about about activism, um, you know, we, we see so much suffering and so uh, much harm in the world around us. And, um, and so being, allowing, opening to compassion, having that courage of compassion you know, to not just close down, to fold, to fold, to say, "Oh, it's too much," you know, I, you know, it's too big, uh, it's hopeless, I can't do anything. But to to continue to care, you know, to keep an open heart, and to say, "I can do this," <laughs> you know, I can respond in this way. This is what's calling me. This is what I feel, how I feel. I need to respond. Uh, and um, and it's it's amazing how you know we can connect with others and and um, that response of kindness and caring can can do a lot. Just to add uh, something quick to that, um, in Buddhist teaching, um, compassion is often spoken of as the natural 
arising from wisdom. That in, so wisdom, wisdom tells us here's the human condition. You know, we t- we've been talking the whole retreat about you know what's you know you can't there's a, there's just an insecure reality because life is changing all the time. So that this compassion is the natural heart's response. It's just a natural arising. You know, you don't even have to cultivate it. It's a natural arising of the heart's understanding of human suffering. You know, whether we act from that or not is completely conditional on the circumstance. But the heart itself will feel that compassion, it's, it's often called the quivering of the heart. And that it's, it, has, it has the power that even a fly landing on the heart, you would feel it. You'd feel the fly. You know, so it's... Uh, what comes from that is... Uh, who knows? It's going to vary. But the, it's the heart's knowing and the heart's feeling of the um, the truth of life. Really, its near enemy is pity, which, as Daryl was saying, that's a kind of a oh, that's you, not me. You know, it's actually knowing, hey, I'm I'm there too. You know, you're Billy, I'm Jean, that's Daryl, there's Lynn over there. You know, I mean, we, it would be a little bit of a psychotic world if we didn't have that. Not a little, it would be. So it's, it's actually the conceptual mind really wants to understand no self. You are not alone. This is like a very common question. It can't. It cannot get it. it it's beyond that because, because, you know, one way to enter into it I love how Joseph Goldstein talks about this because it's so simple. It's so Joseph. He says, you know, when you look at the Big Dipper, is it really the Big Dipper? Big Dipper is just a word. You know, and even if you say, well, it's a grouping of stars, that's another concept. There's no way to really describe what we call the Big Dipper. So we, you know, we, we, we live in a relative world where we're going to say, you know, you're Billy and, you know... You've been teaching Kundalini yoga. I mean, it's like that, that's, not, that's not something to get rid of, but it's just to recognize that, and it's all changing, including as we sit here, what is going on underneath what we call skin? I mean, it's like mind blowing. You know, it's all moving and changing, and, but we'll call it a self. Even our thoughts change, our identities change, our feelings change. You know, it's this, it's this combination of elements coming and going. So the teaching is essentially to break through this idea of separation and over-identification. And that's the, that's a, it's a, when it's a practical way to understand the teaching. I mean, it has so much more meaning, but that's a practical way. So if, if you're trying hard to get it, you know, uh, I would contemplate more the nature of change. And that will help you understand does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and just quickly, the second question I have is um, any suggestions for uh, preteens, teenagers, trying to teach them some of these <laughs> concepts, just because I'd like to see them grow up with some of these tools that you know, maybe we didn't have. And I'm wondering if you have any suggestions. How old are they? Come to the States, come to the teen retreat. We start our team retreats at 14. Um, you live in Ottawa? I would imagine there are teen programs that they... Are there? Is there anything, Janet, that you know of? 
it's maybe not. But there's another calling, Billy. <laughs> there's, there's so many. There's there's a it's it's a it's a really growing area for books and you know um, talks. There's a lot that you can find and on the you know like in terms of information and ideas and like little things that you can do with your kids to uh, to help just develop their their capacity to be present you know to to attend and and that's really something that I think a lot of parents are concerned about because you know with all these little devices and screens and you know like we have you know our, our kids are growing up with very short attention spans and and um, yeah it's it's I think it's something to be discovered as to how the psyches of our, the generation of kids growing up with all the screen time is is going to develop but but just um, you know doing things like taking a walk in nature and um, uh, just helping them to be present you know to their surroundings what, what I found most helpful in community is actually groups so um, if you know of any Dharma teachers in the in the area who have done any kind of work with teens um, or, or mindfulness practitioners leaders um, teens respond really well to groups and, and many times parents will come to me and say, I really want my teenager to go on the teenage read. They won't listen to me. Most parents have that experience. You know, parents that are well-connected to their kids. So I wouldn't worry about that, but I might think about who do you know that you might be. As a matter of fact, I just did this in my area. Just a parent called me and said, could you come? Uh, could we plan a time? And I went for, you know, two or three hours with five 14-year-olds. And as Daryl said, there's many tools online. When I first started working with kids, there wasn't anything, uh, very little. But there's some good books. Um, Blue Jean Budo is one where teens have written their own little articles. But there's mindfulness practices. But quite honestly, I think it's hard. You're not going to get... I don't know you and your children, but it's not easy to get mileage that way but if you call together a group have some pizza and have someone lead some mindfulness practices with them it's amazing how responsive kids are to dharma practice and i actually mean dharma practice not just mindfulness techniques but the insights they have the openness they have and i totally agree with daryl it's such a ripe time to support our youth so i really mean it if you have that Desire, I, I would, I would rally someone you know, and uh, and you know just ask the, you know and, and the, you know if the kids are together they'll do it. And what I did with that was I just had the parents go and do their own thing, and I met with the kids and then we came together and shared. And I had the parents do some of the same practices, and then we shared about it. So there's a lot of really creative ways to do it. I started my daughter on the guided. Yeah. Yes, they love that. There's a lot of apps actually. Yeah. There's some apps for teens that yeah. you can just put the earplugs in, helps them with sleep, mm-hmm. or preteens too. This stuff for kids too. Um, Will Chris Willard's work is quite great. Chris Willard, W I L L A R D. Thank you. Maybe one more question. Trust your instinct to want that because they, they, I mean, you know, with IMS, we've had kids that have come on the family retreat, and they're, some of them are Dharma teachers now. How old they had that exposure. The teen retreat is 14 to 19. Yeah. But they, they still have a family retreat? No. They don't do a family retreat. No, but um, Washington, D.C. does. But yeah, we can talk more about it. Yeah. Other questions? One more question, maybe? I have one, but um, it's not too long. 
um, during the meta uh, practice, um, and you gave us phrases to, to say, one of them was, um, you have to be free from suffering, and then you um, expanded on that, so you have to be free from root causes of suffering, which are greed, hatred, hatred, and delusion. And I certainly know and have experienced greed, and I know and have experienced aversion and hatred. Delusion is still a fuzzy concept mm -hmm. for me. Do you want to give a definition of what that means? Yeah, well, delusion can take many forms. Um, uh, can just manifest as confusion. So, like, really, you know, feeling like not grounded, spaced out, um, uh, zoned out. Confusion can also um, uh, take the form of, of ideology, like that we believe strongly in this idea and we close our minds to, you know, a reality that might be completely in contradiction to the idea. So that's delusion, you know. So people who are very, very ideological, um, you know, politically or, you know, uh, even religiously, uh, you know, like fundamentally, fundamentalism, you know, it's, it's a kind of delusion. And, um, and, and also... Um, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of um, a, a kind of a, a, a fogginess or darkness, and so you know, and uh, and the essential delusion uh, that you know is kind of at at the root of it all is that you know I am this permanent, separate, independent self, you know, not connected. Uh, you know, not conditioned by you know what's going on. That somehow I am in control. So that's kind of the, the essential delusion, and and then uh, the the grasping and and the hatred actually um, arise from that you know fundamental ignorance of who we truly are. So, um, you know, we wanted to um, to just spend a little bit of time on forgiveness um, because forgiveness is a really important practice uh, in our, you know, evolving our spiritual um, unfolding when we're holding anger and resentment um, we're, we're really closing our heart and um, and so uh, it's, it's something that is really I think important as we um, as we move it back into the, our lives and all of our connections um, to reflect on forgiveness um, just to start in this context of this retreat, uh, we felt that it, it would be helpful to, to do a short forgiveness contemplation because um, we've been in relation with each other a lot and we might have, you know, inadvertently said or done something or acted in some way that, that, uh, you know, affected somebody um, so that they felt excluded or felt um, harmed or un or disrespected, um, and and so uh, so first of all, you know, as as teachers, um, Jean and I want to ask your forgiveness. Uh, if in any way anything that we have said um, has has harmed you, has created harm, has created confusion, and um, and also we offer you our forgiveness 
for anything that you might have done, uh, intentionally or unintentionally, knowingly or unknowingly, to to um, do something harmful toward us. Uh, and and so and then toward one another. Um, well, first of all, uh, we we need to forgive ourselves again and again and again <laughs> for the ways that we um, we forget, for the ways that we may uh, react, for the ways that we may um, wish ill toward others. Uh, for we need to forgive ourselves for any anger or um, or guilt you know that we may be holding toward our toward ourselves for things we've done in the past and um, and that is a process that we can uh, intentionally enter into to reflect on our lives and ask ourselves you know, ethically is there anything that I have done you know to have harmed another um, I went through a whole ethical process uh, of reflecting on harm that I've done, and I I remembered that I had borrowed some money from somebody and not never paid it back, and I had gone away, and and I and I had always held that in my heart as something I felt bad about. I felt was a fault. I felt um, really sorry about, and and so I decided to contact this person that I hadn't seen in 30 years and said, I have $100 and I'm going to back to you. And, and we met. And, and he said, I don't want the $100. But he remembered. He had remembered the event. And, and it was healing for both of us mm-hmm. to, to do that. So, um, so forgiveness can bring us into this kind of contemplation where we're, we're doing some cleaning up of things that we're holding we feel guilt about. So, um, so I'm just going to... Uh, there's so much that can be said about this. And yeah, I just want to also say one more thing. That sometimes we have been deeply hurt. And it's very hard to forgive and we can't force ourselves to forgive. We may just open the door a tiny crack to the possibility that forgiveness could happen. So that is a uh, one way of approaching forgiveness. And also, I want to distinguish between Forgiveness and reconciliation. Hmm. Forgiveness is when we accept that things happened as they happened. They just happened as they happened. And that's the way it was. And we are letting it go. We're accepting that our life unfolded in that way. Um, There's a, a saying, forgiveness is giving up on having had a better past. You know, and it's funny because, you know, so many of us hold on to if only my life had been like this or like that. And of course, it's that's just the way it was, and there's no going back, right? So, so we let go for ourselves so that we can be free of that holding on. Reconciliation is when we, with the other person, we we come to an understanding that harm was done and there's an admission perhaps on one side or both sides that harm was done and we agree to um, to reconcile and there's a healing that can happen in a relationship but that has to have the willingness of both parties to to enter into that process so we can forgive and at the same time know that there's no reconciliation so I'm going to read a short prayer of forgiveness and I don't know who, where this comes from I just found it 
And and I'm going to pause after each line, or after each stanza, and and just allow you time to, if you wish to, to repeat it or or receive it. If I have harmed anyone in any way, either knowingly or unknowingly, through my own confusions, I ask their forgiveness. If anyone has harmed me in any way, either knowingly or unknowingly, through their own confusions, I forgive them. And if there is a situation I am not yet ready to forgive, I forgive myself for that. For all the ways that I harm myself, negate, doubt, belittle myself, judge, or be unkind to myself. Through my own confusions, I forgive myself. 